Welcome back to the Mel K show. Very excited. I know you are too. Uh, I have back a, a man that has taught me more than most people could imagine. And he is, uh, I call him the professor because he knows a lot about a lot of stuff. And I am honored as always to have Matt Arep back on the show. Thank you for joining me, sir. Always a pleasure, Mel. These are crazy times. And, you know, I reached out to you. We do, we're trying to do once a week again. And I said, uh, everything else, push it aside. Uh, let's come on and, and teach some history, which you're best at. And so, uh, take it away, <laughs> Professor. Oh, do my best. All right. Obviously, I'm going to say a word or two about what's going on uh, currently in the Middle East. It's a very, very dangerous situation, and a lot of people are completely losing their heads. Whether they're compl- they're falling onto the side of uh, Israel's totally the victim, or Palestinians are totally the victim, and the, the amount of political and emotional charge in people who are falling into one of the two narratives is insane. And people who should know better, who have generally a sense that there is this great reset agenda, an international extended oligarchy, intelligence operations that have been going on for many, many generations. A lot of people who know these things are still falling into their profiles that are expected for them in this very emotionally charged topic. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of things that uh, are being sold to us as being very simple, but they're not. There's there's nuance, there's complexity. And I'm going to try to go through a little bit of that, starting with a couple of anomalies for people in the present day. And then we're going to pull ourselves back like we always do into some historical dynamics. Great. First thing I'd like to do just to sort of set the tempo a little bit is the danger of peace. The the British Empire, and here I'm speaking of the Anglo-American British Empire, but the center of oligarchical machinations, which is the city of London today, as it was for hundreds of years, the associated intelligence operations that utilize uh, Masonic um, front group or Masonic operations to coordinate, as well as things like GCHQ, MI6, other things. Uh, This goes back centuries as well, just as the British Empire was the only one world government. Whenever there has been danger of peace breaking out within the Middle East, uh, arsonists go and blow things up. I'm going to so I like this this statement in 1993 that Yitzhak Rabin, the prime minister of Israel, who was assassinated two years later, right. uh, stated when he was asked by a journalist, why are you making peace with your enemy? Being a reference to Yasser Arafat, the head of the Palestinian Liberation Organization, um, who he had begun meeting with at that moment, signing the Oslo Accords, the right. idea for a two state solution, but not just that, also economic development. So he. This was sabotaged, but Yitzhak Rabin wanted money that was being given from the World Bank to be to be put towards building infrastructure, water projects. And like an old friend of mine said, you know, the, the Middle East needs needs water, not Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the world needs water, not Henry yeah. Yeah. Certainly in the Middle do, East. You could desalinate water. There's a lot of desert. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of if you build infrastructure, roads industrial corridors, which is what Yitzhak Rabin and Arafat were arranging, you could build, you could start ending the the the, the, the pain and the wounds of uh, eye for an eye hostilities that had been plaguing the region for a very long time. And he said, in response to why do, why do you make peace with your enemies? He said, well, you don't make peace with your friends. And he also made the point that the future belongs to those who have the courage to change their axioms. Now, he said this because he himself was a part, he was enmeshed in an unwinnable process that was leading towards a holy war in the 70s and 80s. He didn't do good. He did not do good things. He didn't. 
He a lot of innocent people died by uh, his hand, but he changed. And that's the thing with human beings is we can be we can redeem ourselves by discovering what the wrong path we were on, disobeying our conscience and using bad ideas and change. That's what this was. And he had to be killed, which he was not by a Muslim terrorist or nothing like that. He was killed by a, a Zionist uh, fanatic who believed that peace with the Arabs was evil, was against God's will. So that's just something to set the tone. Now, I want to go through an anomaly um, in 2000 and uh, I believe it was 2007 or eight. The WikiLeaks published a data dump featuring discussions between um, the, the director of military intelligence, General Amos Yadlin of Israel to the U.S. ambassador saying he would be happy if Hamas, which at that time also had a political party, came to dominance in in the Gaza Strip. Now, Hamas, for those who don't know, is the outgrowth directly of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood is something that was concocted in the bowels of British intelligence in the 1880s and finally became its, its an official organization. Um, it had already existed in a in an occult secret society fashion before that, but in 1928, it burst onto the scene with uh, Jamal al-Din al-Afghani, Oh, no, sorry, that was the founder of, of uh, Salafism, who was on the British payroll, who founded the ideological framework of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, he was paid for, his his career was bought and paid for by the British. He was given checks by the British uh, Cairo office, and he created the, the framework of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, it was Hassan al-Banna. And he was given money by the British Suez Company in 1927 to found the Muslim Brotherhood. The British, right, which had complete dominance. They destroyed the the, Egypt, the Egyptians in the after two years of war against the, the the Egyptians who wanted to preserve their sovereignty after the American Civil War. The, they was, the British won that war. They took control of the entire Egyptian economy. They forced Egypt to just do cash cropping, cotton, which destroyed the agricultural land. It destroyed the water. It brought them into total bankruptcy. And, and that's how Britain dominated Egypt, which was the most economically developed uh, Arab area of the entire Ottoman Empire, which yeah. had to be targeted. So Hamas grew out of this Muslim Brotherhood operation. It, it's always been, it's never been Palestinian. It's never been Muslim. It's always been this other thing, instigating conflict with those around them, including Muslims. And in fact, just like Yitzhak Rabin was killed by um, a, a Zionist a fanatic assassin, not an Arab, uh, not, a, not a Muslim, so too have most Muslims been killed by Muslims in by the hand of the Muslim Brotherhood and their offshoot. This is what uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski tapped into in the late 70s with Sir, Sir Bernard Lewis, who was advising the Trilateral Commission from British intelligence, who was the founder of what's called the Bernard Lewis Plan, uh, the Ark of Crisis. The idea that you could play the, Islamic, the Islamist radicalization card by taking young, poor, alienated men from the, the Muslim world, put them through radicalizing madrasas that would receive millions of dollars by U.S. taxpayer money. Also, the Saudis at the time and, and some Pakistani leaders of the 70s and the 80s would help massively provide logistical support. Turkey would provide logistical support to these radicalizing madrasas that would then weaponize these young men, especially in Afghanistan, that would right. then suck in America's rival, the Soviet Union, into an unwinnable war, which Zbigniew Brzezinski later bragged was the greatest success of his life, even if it meant creating al-Qaeda. And he said this in the 90s. 
acknowledging he created al-Qaeda as we know it and all of the, the different branches was a U.S. military, not even U.S., it was a British because he was following the advice of Sir Bernard Lewis. So they did this. Um, and of course, they created this enemy. So now you have Yedlin saying we want Hamas to win, which Hamas did. Hamas came out as the dominant political party. Right. And why would you want, why would an Israeli chief of intelligence want a Muslim Brotherhood organization hostile to Israel to be in the dominant position? Just throwing that out there. The other thing to keep in mind is that for the, there, there are organizations called the Palestinian Authority, which itself came out of the 19, after Yitzhak Rabin was killed, the Palestinian Authority was created. And the Palestinian Authority, not the Palestinian Liberation Organization, but the Palestinian Authority, which manages a lot of the West Bank. It's right. uh, yeah. it's sort of the government de facto of, of Palestine. Um, it was discovered, and Kit Clarenberg did a deep dive on this for the, the cradle originally, um, going through leaked cables uh, that revealed that the Adam Smith Institute, which is a contractor closely affiliated with MI6, has been training um, violent operatives in Palestine for the Palestinian Authority and their leaders, the leadership, to be to be pro-Israel and to clamp down violently on any type of resistance within Palestine. So you have both sides, right? Both the reactionary anti-Israel as well as the pro-Israel side within Palestine, both having uh, British intelligence. And also there was an American key operator who was positioned within these, these data dumps who was coordinating this with people being trained across Jaffa and a variety of other places in the Middle East and then sent back. So you have a gang counter gang operation within um, this area. Hmm. Now, this requires, I think, uh, people to step back and think, well, why? Why do they want this? And I mean, we've we've heard people like the, the current head of the, I, the IDF, uh, the Israeli Defense Forces, say we have to now go in um, and, and, and cut off water, food, electricity, which is going to kill children. And he called these the Palestinians living in the Gaza um, oh, human animals, and we're going to treat them as human animals. Why is he saying that? How is he thinking? And is is isn't an inside job? People are saying, "Oh, was this planned out in advance?" Well, it seems like evidence is coming up to to showcase that there was Egyptian leaks. The Egy Egyptian intelligence ten days before Hamas had attacked Israel had already given that information to Israeli authorities, saying, "Hey, this is going to happen." By the way. Uh, you should do something uh, is, you know, you've had people who have been working, who are veterans of Israeli defense forces who gave who've been giving testimonials online saying, look, the Iron Dome, the sensors around the gates, everything is so intense that even if a cat is walking by the, the fences, sensors, buzzers go off. There's no way that this was not understood. And they were doing exercises days before that, you know, the Hamas was actually carrying out exercises to plan this out. This was this was. There's enough evidence that has convinced me that this was likely already known and allowed to happen. Let me ask so you something about that real quick, just for a yeah. second. So a lot of people aren't aren't acknowledging that for the last, I believe, six, seven months, there's been giant protest rallies in Israel, Israel being the size of about New Jersey. So that's a pretty big thing that's been going on there. Um, is that connected to this? Because we've seen this in especially in color revolutions all over the world. You and I have talked about it many times. I just feel like people are leaving out just like they did when the Wuhan, uh, when the pandemic came, people forgot that there were uprisings in Hong Kong. It just seems like this was a slow burning yeah. thing that might have okay. all come together in some way. So this is where 
um, our desire to find uh, a particular good or bad uh, actor within that region specifically is going to get very difficult because right. um, yeah, yes, it's connected. And it's weird, too, right? Because even there, you had certain anomalous things like Yuval Harari right. obsessively championing the overthrow of Bibi Netanyahu, um, who is certainly part of the Likud, um, uh, more radical conservative groupings who believe in things like the greater Israel, uh, which is a very racist interpretation of Israeli divine destiny to have control uh, that God wants Israel to have not just control of what it currently has, but the greater Israel, which is what Jabotinsky, Theodore Herzl, uh, Rabbi Cook, who was the first British uh, mandate, ma British mandate Palestine chief rabbi who gave rise to the settler movement, which is which has been conducting illegal settlements in the Gaza uh, since the 60s. That that that's what Benjamin Netanyahu, Netanyahu, whose father was the personal assistant of Jabotinsky, who was called Vladimir Hitler by Benjamin, uh, by Ben Gurion, the first prime minister of Israel. He's like, no, this guy, Jabotinsky is like that. This guy's like Hitler, except he's Jewish. Um, so Ben Benjamin Netanyahu has a lot of problems. And so it doesn't mean just because Yuval Harari was for the, the, um, essentially right. what is looking like a regime change. <laughs> right. It did. I mean, and nobody's talked about it like that, that even happened at all. It just seems to be like, no, no, it's, it's weird. Um, but it's, it's, I think the bigger reason is that there has been a fear that Netanyahu, um, who has been organized to have good relations with Russia and with China might, um, use the power he has with the executive a branch of the government because with the executive you can um bypass in large measure um votes in the supreme court of israel now the supreme court currently seems to be st stuffed with western leaning technocratic oriented judges that can disrupt decisions made by the government to do things now that could be a good thing if you have a crazy ass government that just you know is like hitler if, if that's what you have, then that's maybe not a bad thing to have something that can keep them in check. Now, we have an element of a little bit of that ethno-nationalism, imperialism, that that, and we see its expression right now with the desire to purge the land of Arabs who live there in order to have uh, the rebuilding of the Temple Mount, Solomon's Third Temple, which these creeps also really deeply believe it is their destiny to build that, but that requires destroying the Holy of Holies, a Muslim site that currently exists on that very location. Right. Which right. means, you know, holy war, potentially nuclear war against the whole Arab world coming down on, on Israel and then America getting sucked into this whole thing. So that that's one thing. But then also you have here. Let me actually show you this. Context is important. Um, yes. And I think that if you look at the two biggest projects that are really shaping the dynamic of the Middle East, Southwest Asia and, and Eurasia more broadly, as well as Africa, I think that the number one thing to keep in mind, which is tied both to what we're talking about at the moment. But it's also tied to the regime change in Georgia currently being planned. There, you got to keep in mind the the Georgia Legion is a part of a regime change in Georgia. It was used in 2003, funded by Soros and the CIA, that brought in a uh, pro NATO government under Saakashvili. There, the, there is currently the current Georgia Georgian government has just arrested an array of foreign trainers. Um, because they have found a plot to light bombs in civilian centers somewhere between now and December, 
while Georgia's entry into the European Union is being discussed in in Brussels. Um, and one of the key figures is the head of the Georgia Legion, who was the person who was in, a complicit is like a pro-Nazi fascist organization, which was brought into Ukraine in 2014 and were the operatives who carried out the the uh, sniping of both police and civilians at the Maidan to provoke um, right. a, a max, maximum conflict. Now, he was the one who's been behind this operation currently, which hopefully the Georgian government can can cut down on. But they've made the point. A lot of the operatives who are being trained on the ground uh, they're or will be sent on, uh, into Georgia are currently in Poland and, and Ukraine currently getting oh. trained in, in, in facilities to be then sent down um, at a moment when they're able to. So there's that. You've got the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict. Right. Which is another point that is disruptive directly towards the the what's this images that people are looking at is the in yellow is the uh, orange is the north international north south transportation corridor, which has really been moving quickly into reality. And it was set it, it's signed by Iran, India and Russia, but it involves 13 different countries. Georgia, Ar Armenia, Azerbaijan being two of them, but also it would have extensions into Turkey, into Jordan, into Israel. Uh, there's all sorts of sub extensions that are not here directly on this map that would move, that would cut off um, 40 days. Or no, sorry, wow. 10 days of uh, of, of, of economy would be, would be saved by the motion of goods and services and people. Wow. And new, new industrial corridors would be developed and are being developed through this type of thing. The other uh, project to keep in mind is the China-led Belt and Road Initiative that has currently 140 nations who have signed on to agreements to work with China to build it. This is one extension of it right. in the southern branch. This is uh, two of the main arteries that go in the middle corridor through the Caspian Sea region down into Tehran and, and into Europe through the Middle East from China, but also northern branch going through Russia. These massively cut off a lot of transit time of goods that would normally be shipped by uh, the Suez Canal, Straits of Malacca, uh, or around the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. That, 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 so this is a revolutionary thing that, again, would bring maximum large-scale development, infrastructure, water projects. Um, and, I'm, and if you look at it, Bashar al-Assad just came back from Beijing with, with his wife and a massive trade delegation where they signed agreements to join the Belt and Road. Or they, they've actually joined it already a few years ago. But they really advanced a Syrian and Iraq reconstruction strategy, mm. which eventually would end up looking like this, which, as you see, these are all rail corridors that that are part of a revival of something Bashar al-Assad had been doing with around the same time Gaddafi was building the great man-made water project in 2009. Right. Uh, Bashar al-Assad was was also organizing for what's known as the five seas vision, connecting the five major water regions of the Black Sea, Caspian, Persian Gulf, Mediterranean and Red Sea around development corridors and 12 nations, including Turkey and Azerbaijan and Armenia had all signed on to do this before the Arab Spring was launched that destabilized the entire region. Wow. Obviously, this would massively benefit Palestine, uh, Israel, anybody who wanted to participate would definitely this would be a, a new game in town because what the previous game has been Zbigniew Brzezinski spread radical jihadi jihadism um, for geopolitical purposes and take these regions that used to be a hotbed of these regions used to be Renaissance areas, the the, the centers of Baghdad right. in the uh, the Middle Ages when Europe was was like, you know, living in the mud uh, was the zone of some of the greatest Renaissance art and science and medicine in the world and architecture. And that was all destroyed under the Crusades. 
It was destroyed, especially in the age of the British Empire and then the 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 age of the War on Terror. All of this was turned into a dark age. So mm. I'm saying this I, just to get across that this is sort of the the context today that I think people have to hold in mind when they think of like, well, I who's agree. really going to benefit who, uh, from the amplifying the chaos and amplifying the crazies around Ben, ben Netanyahu? And here there's a quote I was I, I found from a work called the Orot. Now, I mentioned earlier the British mandate Palestine because the British had controlled the entire Palestine region since um, Sykes-Pico. Um, let me just show this. So this is the Ottoman Empire in 1912. It was going down fast. It wasn't modernizing. It was still holding on to old ways of doing things. Um, it had been manipulated in a lot of British and French geopolitical conflicts, including the Crimean War and a variety of things. It was it was called the old man of Europe. It was bankrupt. Um, but there was a desire to salvage the empire in a good way. And this involved the American system followers of Abraham Lincoln, people like Otto von Bismarck, who was bringing in the American system to unify Germany for the first time to create a unified German state around protective tariffs, uh, state credit, rail development, industrial development, but also a foreign policy just like Ulysses S. Grant was doing or McKinley, which was based on looking for um, ending conflict building entente with nations that otherwise, like especially France and Germany, who Britain was always trying to get these nations to go to war, kind of like reviving the old seven-year war doctrine or, or battle plan that involved for seven years all of Europe from like the, what was it, from 1757 to 1763. That was just an all-out global, like European war of everybody against everybody managed by British manipulations. And they, they've been trying to get that going again and again. And Otto von Bismarck was this genius who was always able to negotiate uh, peace deals through economic cooperation with these other uh, rival nations who we made his allies. He made it, made them his friends, like Yitzhak Rabin was saying, right? The the future belongs to those who change their axioms, and we make peace with our friends, not our enemies. Uh, sorry, we make peace with our enemies, not our friends. So this is the, uh, the Berlin to Baghdad railway that uh, Bismarck put into motion, and uh, he had allies around Sadi Carnot, who was becoming the, the president of France around this very same time. Sadi Carnot would end up getting assassinated by a British-directed anarchist cell inside of France because Sadi Carnot was also bringing the Lincoln-Hamilton American system policy to unify France as well. Um, and, and he was working with the Egyptians who were fighting the British to build the Suez Canal. That was actually French engineers who were sent down to help mm. build that. It wasn't the imperialists yet. But the deep state in France was always the thing that was trying to kill the Gaulle, kill uh, anybody good. And um, and it's still there today. Right. Um, but so you have like just like I wrote the book, The Clash of the Two Americas, you could you could write books on the clash of the two Frances, the clash of the two Germanys. You have right. the deep state and authentic yeah. characteristic. Right. Right. So this was this what would have modernized the Ottoman Empire, would have modernized Turkey, given them the type of economic abundance that would have diffused the 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 simmering powder keg of anxiety and anger that was needed to weaponize the masses as the British have been doing for color revolutions for hundreds of years. You yeah. need to have economic scarcity to radicalize people and then use them as a mob to overthrow governments. Now, that's what the British were doing with the uh, the Young Turk movement. The Young Turk movement was a um, a Mazzini operation or a Mazzini connected operation. Mazzini was the handler of people like Albert Pike in America, who had been the representative of uh, the Young America movement in the South. That was also known as the Confederacy. Um, 
<laughs> and, and later on the KKK, which was right. also created out as, as an outgrowth of his Scottish right uh, reforms that he did he did at that time. But so you had these different young Europe movements. You had young Albania, young young Germany, young France, young Turkey, young uh, Greece. And the way that basically the formula is simple. Here's what it is. And it, it's the basis of like if people want to know why there's Ukrainian pro-Nazis or Georgian pro-Nazis or or even ISIS fanatics today who believe in a greater caliphate and a, and a greater, you know, ISIS run world order uh, or or the the type of freaks who want to burn scorch the earth and, and purge all Arabs out of greater Israel. How do they think the formula for creating these types of zombies, fanatical cultish zombies is you profile a culture and its people and and the British, just like the Venetians before the British, are very good at cultural profiling. That's what the Orientalists would do when they would go native, right? They would go like Lawrence of Arabia, and you just go into a, a local sect of uh, Bedouin tribes, and you just you'd map them out, you'd speak their language, you'd really immerse yourself. But what what are you doing? You really care about them? No, you don't. You're looking for their stories, the stories that shape their identities. You want them to trust you because they'll trust you if you speak their language. And you do their 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 things. They do the same thing in Africa and Asia and in, with the native tribes in North America that have also been manipulated by these techniques. Very Jesuitical is you is you then can um, map out what stories they have of themselves that can be amplified to create sort of um, a sense of divine ethno nationalist prejudice that creates a feeling of elitism in the people that you want to then use against a powerful rival that you want to disrupt. So you want that sense of elitism, right? So the Albanians were the young Albania movement was was convinced that there was at some point hundreds of years in the past where Albania was this grand empire and the, these perfect people, these beings were just these superior beings. And we lost that. And that's why we have the economic scarcity today, because the inferior beings of Russia took control of of our destiny and now we're inferior and we have to just take it back through violence and same thing with the germans right the, the that's where the 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 whole myth of the of the aryan super superhuman emerged was this idea that no there was a time where we were these great glorious hyperborean uh mention from this aryan superland and and the jews and the dark people got the better of us and now we have to reclaim our glory so all of these things yeah. ukraine said the same so um the, the young turks had their own thing there was this view that no the great ottoman empire was our destiny when we ruled the world and we have to bring it back and so you had mitzini and a bunch of of satanists utilizing freemasonic outfits and here like help uh, harvest uh alexander helfand who was very close to Trotsky, uh, actually was a co-coordinator of the first Bolshevik revolution to overthrow the, the Tsars uh, in 1905. That Parvis was a, a gun runner and bankroller of the Young Turkey movement. Uh, yeah, the Young Turks, which was used to disrupt this modernization industrial policy that that Germany was trying really hard to help build. Um, that's the reason why the, the, the British went into Egypt in the first place was to stop the 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 French, the better French and the Egyptians who are working to build the Suez Canal as another part of a way to economically liberate this area. And that had to be stopped and taken over by the British. That's where they created a hub for the Muslim Brotherhood to later on be created as a way to spread what became ISIS and this idea of a, of a you know, basically ethno-national uh, uh, superiority complex amongst uh, ignorant 
you know, uh, Muslim men who just didn't know what the hell was going on half the time or how they were being used. Right. So, yeah, it sounds yeah. familiar. I mean, it's just it's you know, it's so crazy when you explain this. It's the same playbook over and over. And yet again, over and over, the people don't see it. This is why I think it's so important that I mean, most people looking at the screen right now are looking at it thinking, wow, everywhere's so close together because we're all the way over here in America. You don't realize like, yeah, they are a train ride away. Yeah. Real. Yeah. It's really, it really is that. And, and, and that's how the British really, it's important to think you can't underestimate the amount of obsession and time and energy that has been put over centuries by Anglo-Venetian grand strategists to think about Central Europe, Central Asia, Southwest Asia, like this is this has been the pivot of world history for in a dominant fashion for the past 2,500 years, especially since the Silk Road was first created in 200 BC. That was the first time the, the, the Han Dynasty came into power and the creation of the Silk Road was unveiled for the first time. And it maintained itself for 400 years between the Roman Empire through the the Seleucids, which then later on became the 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 Muslim world, um, as well as Russia, early Russia, which was a bit of a pagan thing. But there was these trade corridors that also involved Africa that was much more advanced civilizationally than modern anthropologists have told us. Like we've been told a lie about Africa being naturally tribal. No, 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 no. There was high, highly advanced civilizational states as there were in north america there's tons of evidence that's been suppressed by the smithsonian of oh, hyper advanced people across and civilizations that used agriculture technology in north america south america central america everywhere and this has been crushed because they want british imperial doctrine has been focused on getting us to all believe that we are just as we are as a snapshot that emerged almost out of nothing and that these people are naturally tribal they don't want technology we can't give them technology because it's against their nature and it's like wait a minute if if the current people who are tribal are maybe just tribal because their nation was destroyed by imperialists of the past and their libraries their cultural memories were consciously destroyed maybe that's a lie maybe they were actually naturally much more advanced and they want it's it's in their nature to want to return to an advanced state of of scientific civilization maybe that's actually more natural than doing the green eco eco colonial thing right so i'm saying all of this just to get across what okay so what the hell happened and before actually i do this let me read um rabbi cook who again set up the uh, a specific set of yeshivas uh, that gave rise to all of the illegal settlers that have been provoking things in uh, in the gaza since especially the the, the 60s his son set this up it was the Merkaz Harav Yeshiva. Because this is not representative of all Jews. Not mo- Most religious Jews do not think like this. But the fact that these guys do and they are out there and they are protected by something very powerful is serious. But this guy said in his Orot, the truth concerning the land is revealed in Kabbalah. Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, militates for life in the land of Israel. Rationalistic approaches to Judaism place no special value on the land of Israel. In wars, national characters crystallize. Israel, as the universal reflection of mankind, begets thereby. The heels of Messiah follow upon world conflagration, meaning world war. Uh, At the hour of the downfall of Western civilization, Israel is called upon to fulfill its divine mission by providing the spiritual basis for a new world order. He wrote this shit in the 1930s. Now, 
these guys actually to get it to the minds of crazy it's important to, to take that experiment sometimes because what are they saying he is representing a of a, a hyper minority group he's working closely with jabotinsky right um who's also very close to parvis alexander helfand who's like organizing the the young turks <laughs> right he's working closely with with trotsky all three of those guys are, are working together for the bolshevik revolution as well to overthrow the romanovs um they this particular guy whether he particularly believes it or not maybe he does maybe he doesn't i don't know but he creates a movement that does that says okay we interpret through kabbalah which is a very like babylonian mystical way of just like reducing the torah down to random sounds with no ideas you're just like reducing everything down to symbol and sound that could then be interpreted when you're in a trance-like state by high priests who then tell you what it what a some given part actually means it's like reading the I Ching or reading like runes it's the same thing you just like throw the runes down this is what the what the nazis were all big onto when they're in their thula society and then you have a high priest that reads however the runes dropped these viking runes of like odin and then odin and then the high priest who's the initiate of the secret society who speaks the secret language can tell you what odin or thor wants you to do as far as going to war so the same thing here for the kabbalah it's like very it's it's a perfect way to have a priesthood manage um geopolitical affairs now they basically have this view that okay if you read the torah in this particular kabbalistic way we can interpret that the messiah will only come if we rebuild solomon's temple on the specific sites that it was first burnt down like destroyed by the romans two thousand years ago if we rebuild it and we reclaim the land and somehow the land becomes co-equal to say to to um god the divine which why um <laughs> then then the messiah can come but that that will be that will mean conf- global conflagration that means we net war becomes a good thing he also taught that jews don't have individual souls part of his yeshiva which is very d- distinct from from more healthy branches of judaism t- preached that there was no individualized souls that all jews were one single collective soul and thus and it was very much tied exactly to the specific territorial land in that middle east which is greater israel and any any inch that is given up uh willingly you're you lose you hurt the entire soul of the the jewish people so it's it's better to die and in fact war is good and death is good if it means uh you know reclaiming land and bringing in the messiah so why am I saying this? Because he was put there by the British. The British selected this guy to be the head chief rabbi of, of the Ashkenazi Jews at during British Mandate Palestine. What is British Mandate Palestine? A lot of people don't realize this. My, and my wife actually taught me a lot about this stuff in her book uh, on the, the empire in which the Black Sun never set. So if people want to go in a more deep dive beyond oh, what, yeah. what we're talking about today, read my wife's book, Cynthia Chung, Empire on Which the Black Sun Never Set. Holy... Yeah, it'll blow yeah, it's your mind. unbelievable. I mean, it's a it's yeah. a whole it's a college course in a book. That's, it's a college course, and it seems yeah. like it can't possibly be real. That book is uh, unbelievable. Everyone should definitely take a look at that. And I'm going to have her on soon, also to follow up with this. But go ahead, because this is all very important. Hey guys, thank you for watching the show. I just want to remind you yet again. 
that we really need to be very cautious of what is going on with the economy, both here and internationally. We, most of us know that the BRICS nations are looking for a gold-backed currency to dethrone the dollar being the world reserve currency. They have an event coming up on August 22nd. The BRICS nations are all going. There are also 13 other nations that would like to join the BRICS nations. And this is not something to not pay attention to. We have to make sure that you protect your savings. And that is why I have chosen Beverly Hills Precious Metals. That is where I have gotten my gold and silver. I leave it in a depository. I know it's there. I've replaced it with my savings. I've put there to make sure that I weather the storm no matter what, be it the central bank digital currency, the BRICS nations, the dollar goes into collapse, whatever may happen. I know 401k, IRA, backed by gold, as well as having my savings, at least an amount of my savings in gold, in the depository or sent to you at home is the best way to make sure you maintain peace of mind and make sure that your savings and everything that you've earned is safe no matter what comes. We will get through this. All is not lost. America will return to greatness as it always has been. But between now and then, we have to be very smart and very cognizant of what's going on. So please go to Mel K Gold or go to the melkshow.com partners page and go to Beverly Hills Precious Metals. And my friend Andrew will take care of you. He's got a great team. Gold is the way to go right now. And I know that no matter what, I'm safe. So please do that for yourselves. We really care about you here. You're more like family and friends. And I hear from all of you a lot. So I just want to make sure that you guys are doing something proactive to be prepared. All will be well, but take care of yourself now. Being prepared is always a good thing. Well, it's, it's and as you said, it's it's every religion has this same phenomenon, right? Like find one representative, like who's who's got the perfect Christian interpretation? Of course, like if you're a Christian, whatever denomination you're part of, you're going to be like, well, it's mine. <laughs> but generally speaking, like take an objective step back. There are literally hundreds. You got Mormons as well. You got Lutherans and Puritans right. and Calvinists. And, and I mean, it subdivides and subdivides and subdivides. Um, and then you got Catholics between the 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 and Orthodoxes, and then within the Orthodox Catholicism then, or Christianity, then you got sub branches there too that fight each other and interpret right. things differently, emphasize right. things differently. Different. So I mean, at the end of the day, we always have to focus that on again what Yitzhak Rabin and Arafat had realized is that they have to focus on their common humanity and common belief in one right. that there is a God, that there is a soul. We are gonna we're mortal. And there's some connection between what we're given as a gift in this life, regardless of what name we've given God, to the acts that we do and the conscience that we live by and the and what we do for our kids who come after us. We want to have ideally a peace, more peaceful world and a better life than we had. That's everybody can agree on that. And to the degree that you keep the discussion on that, right. we're good. Empires lose their grip. They lose their ability to divide and conquer us. It always works that way. Right. So glad you had this little addendum. And we could say a little on the one thing about the Torah too, uh, the, 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 uh, a lot of Christians and a lot of, uh, Muslims that I, I, I talk with, they hear certain things from the Talmud and I've, I've read not the whole thing. The Talmud's very big. It's literally hundreds of rabbinical writers who have given their opinions on a variety of things in terms of how to interpret the Pentateuch, um, li different things, right? There are literally hundreds of rabbinical opinions are written down that become known as the Talmud. Now, there are certain things that you could take out of context. And, and some of those rabbis, a handful, maybe five or six, I think personally are satanic rabbi. I don't think that they're real. I don't think that they're good people. And you could see it like the, and people will latch on to a few of these quotes out of context. And they'll be like, look, the, the Jewish Holy Bible, the Talmud says that they have to rape children. And, and, and it's like, wait a minute. 
you're you're projecting the Quran and the Bible. It's true. It's treated as the word of God in Christian and Muslim world. The Talmud is not treated like the word of God. It's treated like the 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 collected works of a bunch of rabbis who said opinions about things. And there's a lot of good wisdom in there. You read right. it. There's a lot of good like life yeah. lessons and wisdom. But it's it's if you go to like a lot of the rabbinical schools, the kids are taught, unlike Sunday school for the Christians, the kids are taught, come up with arguments to see if you, if you can refute something in the Talmud. See if you can like develop your platonic reasoning skills to see if this this holds true to reason or not. Like it's a different relationship. The, the Torah is different. The Torah is the word is treated as yeah. the word of God. That's, that's for sure. So let's go back to how because we're talking about profiling, cultural profiling. How how do imperialists and again, the Venetians who later on took control of the British Isles, creating the British Empire. This was formerly Venice. Venice was the center of the global global uh, controls of empire after the Western Roman Empire fell for over 800 years. The, and I'm, I'm going to say this to get get a, in a roundabout way how Venice was able to utilize certain proto-ISIS groupings like, for example, the Mongols, the, the, the Genghis Khan, the, the, the Mongol hordes, were used in, in large measure as a marcher lord controlled through the intelligence apparatus of Venice. And only the Venetian traders had absolute rights of, of motion within Mongol-controlled territories. The Mongols in a very short amount of time, you had these very primitive people who just burnt, killed, destroyed everything that they took control of, uh, at the beginning at least, who went all the way, destroyed, raised to the ground Russia, went all the way to Hungary, took control of Hungary, Western Europe, were about to take control of all of Europe. They took India, China later on. Um, the the whole like Baghdad, Abbasid dynasty was destroyed under the Mongols, who it became a global empire effectively, but it was not very civilizationally advanced. How could these people who are basically uh, pagan, uh, primitive uh, warrior classes get such intelligence that they knew exactly when to strike? They knew what each kingdom was doing um, each step of the way. It's well, the Venetians were there providing them like Marco Polo, Marco Polo's father were providing Ogadai Khan intelligence. Uh, they were his controllers. And so that's that's the template. They had a whole view of a mystical view of themselves. This is what created Tibet. If you want to know where even like the uh, the Dalai Lama was created, it was when the Mongols controlled Tibet and instituted the uh, this relationship of like the the Dalai Lama will control the spiritual world and the 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 Khan will control the material world. And together they would have this weird, like, you know, uh, Roman empire versus papacy type of relationship of, of geopolitical control. But again, the whole thing was mapped out by the, the Venetians. Now the Venetians, the Venetian techniques, including the use of, of uh, the Kabbalah for intelligence operations, which is what people like Francesco Zorzi, who is a high level Venetian intelligence controller was a Kabbalist who uh, was one of the key guys who it, was the first Venetian to brainwash Henry VIII to get rid of Catherine of Aragorn as his wife, destroying the relationship that that England had with Spain. Mary instead Anne Boleyn, this like little you know, and this this idiot sex maniac fell for all of this stuff. And Francesco Zorzi began creating a network inside of the British courts, around which later on Rosicrucianism then emerged around John Dee around the entire uh, Robert Flood also, who was an enemy of Kepler, was a, uh, a leading figure within the Rosicrucian infiltration that converted, it purged Britain of its humanist pro, pro-freedom pro leaders like Thomas More, who's had had his head cut off, right. Erasmus, 
um, it, later on, uh, I mean, there's a whole slew of people in the in the 1600s, 1700s. Um, now, this is what transformed. This is what brought in the Hellfire Club, right, as one of the initiating organizations within Britain. But again, all of all of the Venetian techniques of cultural profiling and manipulation using epistemological warfare were brought in, and that's what allowed this tiny little area of Britain to become a global empire, managing 25% of the world's surface area after the Seven Years' War. So they came out of the Seven Years' War as the dominant alpha, right? That was when you could say the modern British Empire was really consummated, and that's what the founding fathers broke away from. It was just hellfire evil. And so coming into the... Um, our story, you know, the American system is spreading after Lincoln's victory to maintain the Union. It's uh, you got Russia working to build the Trans-Siberian Railway with the help of American nation builders. Henry C. Carey's working with right. his allies uh, through Russia. You've got the idea to extend that both into China, where you have the Hundred Days Reform um, under the, the Qing Empire Emperor as well, who sees that it's maybe possible to save the Qing Dynasty by modernizing the same the same realization that the that the Ottoman Sultan had as well. And he's being assisted by people like McKinley, by people like Sergei Vita and Otto von Bismarck and Bismarck's allies. Bismarck is ultimately uh, fired by a stupid Kaiser who's a mystical occultist um, and takes really bad advice <laughs> and fires <laughs> Bismarck, who is like the brain, the genius. And this later on happens to Vita. But so you have this whole international rail network, industrial development, cooperative policy around nations working together despite cultural and religious differences. They're working together on common common needs. Right. The Bering Strait rail tunnel that we looked at a few weeks ago was being discussed that would connect this this Russian railway through the Bering through Alaska that Russia had just sold to America, and that would connect to Lincoln's transcontinental. So all of this was was bringing about an age of brotherhood, and this is like I think for me. The the health there's two there's two interpretations of uh Quran, Torah, uh biblical scripture talking about in various ways uh end times. One way is to interpret that as being the literal end of time, at which you know, Gog may Gog, some like you know, uh necessary divine war has to happen for the Messiah to either come back or come for the first time. You could interpret it that way. Or you could see it as many of these great Christian and Jewish and Muslim humanists have throughout the centuries, which is that it's the end of an age. At the end of an age of empire, an age of injustice, we will create a world of dignity at which point the, the Messiah will want to come. Uh, or the Mahdi, as they call him in, in the Muslim world, the Mahdi will come after we've created an era of justice and have eliminated exploitation and empire. Then we will merit, we will deserve is coming. That's a much healthier interpretation. And it's something that, again, if you look at the types of, of better Christians and better Muslims and better Jews who have been fighting against empire over the centuries, that's the that's their general thinking. Um, Philo of Ale Rabbi Philo of Alexandria, Rabbi uh, Moses Men Mendelssohn, Moses Maimonides uh, earlier on, but Moses Mendelssohn big time in his book on Jerusalem in the 1760s. Um, they're, they're, this is how they're thinking. So, and it bears fruit. Now, this this was all disrupted. How was it disrupt, disrupted? Well, we know about the, the 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 color revolution that was unveiled in Russia, you know, destabilizing. We had, but that was made possible because Sergei Vita, the count who oversaw the the growth of the American system in Russia, the railway systems, he was ousted by a stupid um, czar, Nicholas II, who came in after the the murder of his father, Alexander III, in 1896, who was a good czar, just like Alexander II, both very good czars. Nicholas II was a well-intended czar, but like his cousin, 
um, Kaiser Wilhelm in Germany, who they were both cousins, both from Queen Victoria, actually. It's how they work. This um, was believed in flatter. He loved his flatterers. He mm. loved the courtiers. And he that's where he got in various theosophical advisors, black, black magic occultists who were followers of Madame Blavatsky, huh? uh, who were all over like vipers in both the, 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 the Kaiser's court as well as the Tsar's court. And yeah. all of them were saying, Hey, look, Vita, Count Vita is, uh, is, uh, he's the first prime minister at this time. He's, the, he's, he's trying to steal your sunshine. Everybody looks up to him and they don't respect you. Get rid of him. He's trying to, he's like a Rothschild agent. And they started circulating something known as the, uh, the protocols of Zion. And the protocols of Zion were, was something that was, was unveiled around the same time in order to specifically in Russia first to, uh, target and slander Count Vita and the American system economists who were utilizing international finance in such a manner that it was based upon nation building, which is what Hamiltonian economics was always. It was it wasn't treating banking as bad or even national banking as tyrannical. It was saying that a bank is a tool that could do bad or good depending on the moral val lesson, uh, value of your society. And so, in in the case of Germany, the Zollverein was being created the based on American experiences after the war of, the war of independence which united the nation around a, a protective tariff internal improvements that's what Friedrich List had done who was also killed he studied in America and and became the basis around which Otto von Bismarck built his reforms the, the Friedrich List society was big in uh in Russia and um Otto von Bismarck was was fired by the stupid Kaiser who was again big into pomp and regalia and was told hey this Otto von Bismarck is also trying to steal your sunshine fire him and he did and all of a sudden, Germany started misstepping and misstepping, setting into motion what became World War One, which never would have happened if if Otto von Bismarck and Witte was in power. Now, Witte had been trying to say, OK, look, we can avoid this danger of of Bolshevik revolution by providing massive economic opportunities and yes. abundance. You got to get rid of the tension. Same thing that the Sultan was trying to do at the time. Same thing that the 100 days reformers in the Qing dynasty were trying to do. But it was 100 days. Why was it 100 days? Because the corrupt uh, em Empress Dowager, who was the, the emperor's mother, was on the payroll of the British. She was the one who oversaw the, the opium. The opium wars was part of what caused the whole 100, 100 years, uh, 100 years of, of humiliation. She overthrew the reformers, put the, her son under house arrest where he died and she just ran the whole thing into, in, into the ground but in russia as well so vita was like hey look 1905 you got to give the people a constitution you got to give them rights you got to give them the vote you, you got to get rid of the jewish pogroms because the, the 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 czar believing that the protocols of zion were real right these were being circulated all over the courts of europe that was targeting the superstitious occultists who were doing seances and that was a big thing back then speaking to to ghosts from other dimensions and stuff everyone was was doing that who was who was trying to be cool uh, and so uh they were reading this and like oh my god it's true see it's the jews themselves under the freemasonic uh outfits that they're that they control that are trying to take over the world under the protocols of zion and so he started the jewish program pogroms again um in russia and that that created a lot of it there's a lot of jews in russia and that created a lot of a lot of injustice. It was really bad, a lot of death. Um, and and Vita was like, oh, you you got to use the 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 money that we are getting from international banks to invest in infrastructure. You got to build. Uh, and he had a whole program for national banks along the and and manufacturing corridors along the 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 the, 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 the 
Siberian Railway. And um, and they and it worked. So finally, in 1905, Vita was successful and he persuaded after this was required, you know, Japan to go in first and, and, and destroy like the entire Russian Navy in 1905, which was done by Jacob Schiff, who funded that whole oh, Japanese yeah. invasion. And uh, it was such like a wake up call for the Kaiser, that uh, the Tsar, who realized, oh, I, I was I was mess- I, I screwed up. You know, Victor was t- was warning about this. I didn't listen to him. And he brought him back and he made him prime minister. He gave him the reforms and it did work kind of pretty well. It, it created a, a space, but it didn't last long. He, the, eventually, um, after about a year, Victor was fired again. And sure. this time it went to shit fast. So it. Russia, just like Germany, began their their motion towards, on the one hand, World War One. On the other hand, total Bolshevik revolution. The Romanovs were all killed. Trotsky was a big figure. He was supposed to be the golden boy who was going to come out in control as the dictator of Russia to the 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 Wall Street London funded Bolsheviks that were supposed to be run by Trotsky. Trotsky's ally Parvis was working in uh, to do the same thing to overthrow the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Jabotinsky, Vladimir Jabotinsky, who was another Ukrainian, uh, worked very closely with Theodor Herzl, um, as well as Rabbi Cook. They both collaborated together. He was the founder of what became known as the Greater Israel Doctrine. So all these guys, and that's what ben- Benjamin Netanyahu's father was the personal secretary, right? Oh, wow. So of, of Jabotinsky. Right. So there, you see that there's a common net, uh, network. Um, now, 1912-1913, so this results in the Balkan War. So once the Young Turks get their way... They go to war with Russia, really weakens Russia, pulls Russia into the this this unwinnable war, but it finally diffuses out. Nobody comes out except the British, um, in a, in a, in a dominant way. Right. That that then sets the stage. Now Russia is stupid enough to agree to the Entente Cordiale, the secret agreement militarily between France and and uh, and England, which Germany doesn't even know about. So before you know it. You know, you see how this works, right? Yeah, I mean, Britain is able to utilize one of their sects in Serbia, terrorists stupid idiot grouping of terrorists called the black hand to kill a, a disposable archduke in austria that that happens britain knows that there's military contracts between serbia and russia and austrian and, and germany to to back each other up in any type of war so they're able to to get this little conflict to quickly spin out of control where they've already arranged a secret military pact with germany and france that any type of war that 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 uh, sorry, now Germany with Russia and France, so that any war that Russia gets into, France and Britain now have to get into. Germany oh. doesn't even know about it. They're the last to even militarize to prepare for the war of World War One. They're the last people to know about it. Um, and we were given a different story, obviously. Right. So that yeah. happened. 1914, World War One's launched. Um, Sykes Pico agreement. Now, the Bolshevik government, we only know about this because there were some some people who were not a part of the game inside of the Bolsheviks, right? who, when they took control of the Russian foreign ministry, they were like, whoa, look at these documents. And they made them public, which proved that the French and the British had conspired under uh, Sykes, what's called the Sykes-Picot Agreement to carve up uh, the Middle East in this way. So this is basically what the French and the, the, the British agreed upon to say, OK, like the northern part would be blue. That would be French controlled zones. Syria would be French, Lebanon French. Southern would be uh British controlled and the international zone of yellow, which is today's Palestine, uh, that we'll fight over that later. <laughs> and Britain always wanted to come out dominating that. So that's where you have around the same time Balfour Accords. Lord Balfour oh. makes these now, but it's not just Lord Balfour, who's also a, a complete anti Semite. He hates the Jews, but yet he's so inspired to devote his so much effort into giving a homeland to the Jews. 
Mm. Okay, but you're not yeah. alone. He's also working closely with Lord Milner, another rabid anti-Semite who hates the Jews, to who co-writes this with Leo Amory, um, who's a Satanist, nominally a Jew, but actually a Satanist, and a roundtable follower of Cecil Rhodes. And then you yeah. have uh, Walter Rothschild. Walter Rothschild, is he is he a Jew? Well, he's certainly of a Jewish name and a Jewish family, but uh, he's he does things throughout his life and his whole family does that ends up killing more Jews than anybody else. So, um, no, I think that he's more of a Satanist with a Jewish name, as there are Satanists with Christian names and Satanists with Muslim names. It's the they they worship evil. <laughs> so right. that's, and he, the fact that he didn't even live, no Rothschild ever actually lived in the nation that they wanted to create. He owned land there for sure. He owned land in Palestine, but he never lived there. Why do you live in an area that you you want to blow up anyway? And so part of this whole thing has been get the Jews, find a way to 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 and and one of the one of the key guys um who founded this this sect of of uh Zionism which is not in, representative of all Jews in any way was Lord Shaftesbury in the 1830s who began an in, a, a missionary program of sending Anglican priests with their own specific peculiar interpretation of Zion um which itself was created artificially by Henry VIII anyway under the advice of 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 Venetian a uh, marriage counselor, Francesco Zorzi, who was a Kabbalist uh, black magician. Um, <laughs> he created then Anglicanism to splinter away from the church so that he could have a divorce. But then the whole Anglican thing became an intelligence control controlling sub proto or pseudo Christian organization with the monarch as the head of the church. So you go into any Catholic church, uh, Anglican church, you see a picture of now King Charles. That's the head of the church. What the hell kind of Christian church is that? Um <laughs> So that's what was done with this this uh, proselytizing of this idea to convince the Eastern European and Russian Jews that, no, it's it's actually we're going to help you go back. To, you think that your homeland is in Romania or in Russia or no, 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 you're you're mistaken, you see. And then they would give them a, a lesson plan of what they actually should be believing. And uh, so Shaftesbury is actually recognized as the first modern political Zionist. He's the and he had a magazine. That he was he was actually related to Lord Palmerston, who was closely working with Mazzini. Um, he was the in, the son-in-law actually. And um, um, the 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 idea was then to okay, I, my mind wanted to go in two different directions at the same time. So okay, <laughs> so let's just pull it back. So Balfour Accords are created basically to say, okay, Britain is going to devote itself to giving a homeland for the Jews. Oh yeah, that was it. Why would oh, no Rothschild ever want to live in 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 that particular area that they helped create? Well, because the idea was always to figure out how do you persuade these different internationally Jews that didn't have a homeland, but were kind of troublesome at different times to the empire. The empire, the imperialist, the oligarchy ultimately doesn't like this thing in Judaism. Uh, for a variety of reasons, um, which we can maybe talk about in a future segment. But sure. one of the things, how do you how do you convince them to go into a one controlled area, use them as a silkworm farmer would use a silkworm for geopolitical purposes for a time. And then when the worm is no longer producing silk, burn it, get rid of the problem finally in one final solution, right? One end time scenario that you can create. So that's been an obsessive thing that they put generations into figuring out how do they best create a situation like that? Um, that's what makes this current thing that we're living through so dangerous at the moment because it could easily spring out of control. So the Balfour Accords are created at the towards the end of World War One. Then, after that, 
again, run by a bunch of people who are supporting the growth of Nazism and fascism as the solution, right? So Balfour, Lord Chamberlain, who's also working with Herzl, Lord Chamberlain is a pro-Nazi. Uh, Lloyd George, who's overseeing this whole thing, is a pro-Nazi. He's going to be the Nazi prime minister if the, the Germans took control of Britain. So all of these pro-Nazis are all pushing this, this let's create a state of Israel. Weird, right? Yeah. So then you have immediately within weeks, the Arab revolt, Arab awakening revolt. Kind of like what happened in 2010 under the Soros CIA-funded Arab Spring to yep. overthrow Mubarak, Gaddafi, the Tunisian government. Same sort of thing happens then. Now, what the Arab revolt is, is T. Lawrence, you know, uh, Lawrence of Arabia is one of these Orientalists. There's a variety of these guys who are all sent out to, again, build the trust, become like immersive uh, Orientalists for MI6, managed through the British Cairo office or the British India office. And uh, Lord Lord Kitchener is on the ground doing a lot of this work too, the butcher of Sudan, uh, or and, and so <clears throat> these what they're trying they're they're going to various uh, governors of the Ottoman Empire, various people who have influence within the the Pashtun tribes or the Bedouin tribes, and they're saying, look, you have talent. The British respects your talent, and you have a responsibility to your Arab people to break them free of this Ottoman Empire that's so suppressive. And uh, and it's your duty and we will give you all that's all the British want is just the freedom of the Arab people and the and we want to obviously stop our, our Ottoman rivals. So, of course, there's a win win We're we are not totally angels, but we just we you know, we want you to have independence. So it works. It actually works. They get they get some Hashemite uh, leaders to go for it. You know, um, Churchill is on the ground working with this grouping as well. And uh, and you have what's glorified in, in romantic pictures from Hollywood, like Lawrence of Arabia, which is actually a total. It's the opposite. The re the reality is the opposite. Take everything you see in that movie and turn it inside out, and that's the truth. Um, they, their idea was to always stab the Arabs in the back, <laughs> always, and they did. Um, but in 1922, we had you know that little area here, the um, that yellow zone. So yeah. Britain. Britain which creates the League of Nations. You have Lord Milner and Lord and Lord uh, Lloyd George create the League of Nations under the and the Roundtable movement does that. They oversee the creation of this basis of a new one world government. Then the League of Nations that they created gives them the mandate over Palestine, that little yellow area. Now the British have that, and at the same time the British are rewarding one of their their Bedouin tribes to get his own kingdom, and that becomes Saudi Arabia, and that oh, wow. kingdom is going to be wired around um salafism which is as i mentioned earlier um based upon the the interpretation of the quran outlined by jamal al-din al-afghani who himself was on the british payroll of the british cairo office in the 1880s um he outlined a way of reading the quran which is it's it's conducive for creating followers of the Quran who would be inclined to to do violent jihad let's just say it doesn't make you a bad person but it makes you much more inclined <laughs> towards right. reading things that way and ignoring things that emphasize conscience do good that is de-emphasized a lot and uh and Hassan al-Banna later on becomes like I said the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood using British money now Saudi Arabia's religious foundation becomes sort of a, an emergence between Wahhabism and Salafism, which are two is pan-Islamist um, doctrines that read the Quran that way. Again, it doesn't make you a terrorist. It doesn't, but it makes you more inclined to. That's I'm, I'm using this language because I know that there are good people in Saudi Arabia who are are 
uh, you know, they don't they they're not bad people. They're good people. But you got to realize that there's there's some weak spots in how it's being interpreted, just like there's people who read the Kabbalah and right. they're good people. I get it. But there's a way that there's there's some poison Trojan horses and how the Kabbalah is formulated that make it very conducive to create occultists <laughs> at, that are then used for geopolitical purposes. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So the the British end up organizing uh, the mass influx now of different Jewish groups into this uh, deep yellow zone. And uh, that's, you know, deep yellow is Jewish settlement permitted, permitted, Jordan, not so much. And this is where conflicts end up becoming instigated. You have the uh, the riots uh, overseen by the the British create a figure whose name is Hajamin. He's the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. Now, he's somebody who's a cooperator of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, in 1920, before he becomes Grand Mufti by the British, he oversees the Neb- Nebi Musa riots, which are um, basically the, the Islamic, the, the Arab population has been shown fake forged images, photographs, and, and stories that have been spread by design that the Jewish settlers have destroyed the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which today is still the under threat of destruction by the Jewish settlers. But they've been told it's been destroyed. They've been shown images of dead uh, Arab children over the streets, and they were they were told by uh, by the the newspapers run by Hajamin and overseen and, and and financed by the British that the the Jews have done all of this murder of children. You need revenge, right? The Jews are subhuman, and and that's this cultivates days of riots that result in many Jewish families getting slaughtered. Um, it's it's but the British let it all happen. The British are there, but they actually make make a point to not do anything for days. And Hajamin, they do. There's a court, a court case afterwards. Hajamin is found to be guilty and um, and he's immediately given safe haven to go to Egypt for a couple of years and then come back. And, be, and then he's made uh, immediately the British who know that this guy, they found him guilty. They've given him safe passage to Egypt, right, to get sanctuary. He's brought back and then the British go out of their way to select that guy to be the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem representing the Arab voice. So you got Rabbi Cook, the chief Ashkenazi rabbi, um, um, effectively a racist cultist, uh, promoter of mass violence, on the one side that the British select to represent the, the Jewish voice and, and influence the Jewish thought matrix. And then the, they got Hajimin doing the other thing. Hajimin later on goes happily to work with the, the Nazis. There's all sorts of things with him. Oh, right, I see that. I see that documentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you got this whole design for eye for an eye vengeance, bring out the worst and create these multi-generational feelings of hostility that will endure um, beyond reason, beyond any one particular generation. Yeah. Um, to the point that, you know, you, you you it's very difficult to put this genie back in the bottle. The only way to do it is the way that it was done with the 30 years war. Like you got to look at, at these small examples in history right? where when people ask me like, well, what do you do? Well, I, I mentioned Yitzhak Rabin and Arafat. The way of thinking of economic progress is one. Look at, look at China's Belt and Road Initiative and Russia's North-South uh, Development Corridor that's bringing durable, large-scale development to reconstruct the Middle East. That's a way of, that's the similar expression of the same thing. Look at what America, uh, the, uh, Europe did in the, um, after 30 years of religious war called the 30 Years War, that was Christian killing Christian, Protestant killing uh, Catholic and vice versa. 
right. um, for 30 years straight, actually went on even longer than that. Made possible by, well, anyway, it, it was eye for an eye vengeance and it was never going to end. And it was only by the Peace of Westphalia organized by Cardinal Mazarin, right. the, the Emmanuel's Grise of, of France, who was the only person trusted to go and organize a, 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 a to broker peace amongst the warring warlords of Germany. That was the, the Holy Roman Empire was like 2000 princelings who all had their own little micro mercenary armies carrying out wars for territory. Um, and finally, that had to stop. Germany lost half their population. Like, it's hard to imagine. It ended first by, if you read the Peace of Westphalia that set up the basis of the modern nation state. Everyone should read that, by the way. Yeah, at the very least, the first three the articles. That's, I mean, there's it's like a, it's I, really interesting stuff. I mean, it's it's not dated. <laughs> Check it out. No, it's not. It, it basically says, like, every nation, we're going to start recognizing sovereign nations for the first time in history around the idea that each nation will have its sovereignty based on the benefit of the other, our ability to work with our neighbors, to forgive transgressions, which is article number two, right, and to build economic projects together. And that's where Colbert, who who later inspires the founding fathers and, and uh, yep. the American system, is based on Colbertism, directed credit, protective tariffs, uh, taking down corrupt officials within the within the government. And then you can bring about building canals, roads, train, train right. uh, schools, things like that. That works. That created the basis of a durable peace. The same thing for today, the same thing for anywhere. So I'll just edit there. Yeah, we but we're going to have to do a part two of this from 2026, 20, 2027 to, to modern times because it continues on. And, and Matt, you know, you've taught me so much. And the one thing that I know is that there's a lot of good ideas that have been ignored or thrown away and a lot of terrible ideas that repeat themselves over and over and end us up in the same exact place. And people have to always question what you always question and, and everyone should be is who benefits from this. And it is shocking and amazing the more that we we dig in and you dig in a lot of other people I, I admire um do and and the more we see that the hidden hands haven't changed they just they just die off and new ones come up from our very first show about the roads um scholars and the the uh round table and all of that not much has changed in the behind the scenes and um that's that's the good news because i, I really believe and i know you do that um we are being deceived on a massive scale and that we could have what what you always say is possible, which is a world that is uh, cooperating and sovereign nations that work to help each other. I've been using a lot uh, what you taught me in the last show or the show before that uh, in my own speeches, which is about that America with Ben Franklin and all the people that wrote the Constitution and came up with the formula for this nation plan to export it. To the rest of the world so that every nation would have, you know, their sovereignty and their individual rights and liberty and work together and coordinate and cooperate. And again, it's been thwarted over and over and over. And we're at a time in history where we have to really make a choice and be awake and, and the Internet as, as bad and as it's been. Uh, it has helped us to get your voice and other voices out there of of reason when this is why they want to they want to shut everyone up and get the narrative rid of. And a lot of it is coming out of England and and some and these elitist universities that are connected to the whole roundtable movement still to this day is it, it, they don't want that. It, right. They don't want that. And what's very sad is that, you know, the, the population in Palestine is very young. And these people have been born into this. And when you when you raise people, just like many people in America that are being fed this now, you raise people that to have hatred and darkness and anger and all of that inside. And then you light the fuse 
it worked. It has worked again and again and again. I, 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 I'll have you back very soon to do part two of this. But I also want to go through that NATO uh, cognitive warfare document. I think you've 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 read it, obviously. But I feel mm -hmm. like that's a lot of what's going on right now. Is that when when one fire starts to go out, they're going to light another. When another one starts, they're going to light another. And you have to keep asking yourself. Who wins here? Who who, who mm -hmm. benefits from any of this? Certainly not the Israelis nor the Palestinians, and certainly not the Ukrainians or the Russians, and definitely not the Americans or the Canadians. So, I, I mean, it's really time for people to kind of take more attention to, to what you have been doing, which is kind of putting out geopolitical solutions, because I, I've changed a lot of what I talk about. And what I say mostly now is they're not after America, they're after the world, and America's in the way, and that's why they have to destroy us from within without. But I, I mean, you've uh, if you haven't read um, his books, The Clash of Two Americas, I mean, it's very apparent right now that we are at a turning point and that those books can give you a lot of insight. So uh, I'll let you end here. And we will have a part two of this because we want to go forward to the Balfour Declaration, what happened in the 40s, what happened in the 70s and where we are now. So Matt will take us forward. But it's really important to know that all of this happened way before the 40s. So this yeah. is not a lot of people because they destroy the history. Thank God you and your wife do so much to dig it up and put it out there. And so do a few other people, but not that many. Uh, they think that history started in, in, in World War II, you know, and, and yeah. that's not the case. Uh, so last no. words to you, Madaret. Oh, thank you, Mel, for those kind words. And I, I really, really appreciate collaborating with you. I really do. Um, yeah, we need more of the spirit. I, I frankly um, would just encourage people. I'll, I'll send you a few links, maybe. That's what I'll do to a few uh, supplementary reading materials that Perfect. people could read for free. Because I think this this stuff should be dug in. One thing by my wife, uh, something else I did on Kazaria, which is a whole very important and misunderstood factor of world history. You got to um, do that plays too. Much more direct role than people realize in a way that you you won't even imagine. What, what people think I'm going to say about Kazaria is not what I'm going to say. So I'm going to send a, a few a few links on these things. Um, and maybe a link to my book. So if people want to dig right. in more as well, all three of the clash of the two Americas goes into a lot more of this middle East history and my wife's book as well. So all of that will be in the description box, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just send it over. We'll, Rob will put it all in the description. Anyone can go there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matt is all over the place. You know, I had, I had a, a lot easier time booking Matt three years ago than now. Cause he's super busy for good reason. Uh, you are what you are worldwide. One of the voices, I hope people know that, that geopolitically is making a difference for good and for filling in uh, blanks of history that can teach a lot of people. There are ways to peace. And, and, you know, it's not Pollyannish to, to assume that maybe the majority of human beings on planet earth would prefer no more wars and cooperation and to live in peace and to have prosperity everywhere. Cause I'll tell you one thing, Matt, um, that we've learned, especially when they're saying that the, they're going to need $600 billion to rebuild Ukraine. Uh, what we do know is that there's plenty of money and energy and uh, technology and knowledge and ingenuity and electricity and, and education that could be spread on every piece of this planet. And yeah, any division is by design and uh, really needs yeah. to be addressed going forward. The whole lie that there's not money or that there are people they're, they, they're trying to develop nations is a total fraud. And uh, I think we're getting there where the majority of people get it. So, uh, Matt Arette, thank you so much for everything you do. You are an amazing, amazing person. I love you and your wife very much. Um, can you tell uh, my audience where to find you? Uh, lots of links below. So please go look at them, read them. I cannot recommend Matt's books or his wife's book. Uh, on um the black sun uh is unbelievable Empire, which the black sun never said yeah, yeah no, no, thank I you yeah, i call I just, it black sun book but <laughs> <laughs> what kind of it is, yeah. 
Uh, tell them where to uh, find yeah, you. Go to, go, go to the, the links in the description box in canadianpatriot.org. Get a subscription to matthewerritt.substack.com and risingtidefoundation.net is the, the third one. And if you do that, I you'll, you'll probably be, I hope, a little bit better for it. So thank you. Uh, you will. You will. And never forget that uh, everyone can keep learning because a lot of history has been hidden. And once you fill in the blanks, it's a lot easier to make sense of what's happening now. And Matt Arett is excellent at doing that. Thank you so much, my friend. Oh, I hope you're enjoying the show. I was just talking on my new Patriot mobile service. I have to tell you, I'm so excited. They are incredible. They are America first. They they align with my values. And you know what? It's unlimited minutes, unlimited text, Wi-Fi calling, unlimited data, high speed, everything that you could use, just like everyone else. We have our time, we have our vote, and we have our money. And the great thing about Patriot Mobile is your service will be exactly the same. Difference with Patriot Mobile is they are an America first company. And what they do is they reinvest their money into causes that matter to me and matter to you and matter to this nation. At Patriot Mobile, those causes are the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, the Constitution, and our children's future. So please go to themelkshow.com. Patriot Mobile is a partner of ours. Please use the code MELK. What I can tell you too is that they are supporting me and they are supporting creators because they believe in the First Amendment. They believe that censorship is wrong and they are going to put their money where their mouth is. Do what you can for the creators out there that are doing what I'm doing. Please go to Patriot Mobile, MELK Show. All I can say is thank you so much, guys. Supporting my partners supports me, and Patriot Mobile is absolutely awesome. I checked them out. We're switching to Patriot Mobile, and we hope you do too. Thank you so much. Hi, guys. You know, for months and months, me and Mike Al have been talking about the water supply. What is in there? There are pharmaceuticals in the water supply. There are all these chemicals, lots of pollution. We've had all these natural disasters that leave our water not nearly as clean and certainly not as God intended. We know how important water is for our health. So we have been on a mission to try to find the best alternative to the water that is out there, including bottled water, which of course, we did a whole show on everything that's in bottled water, which is almost as shocking as what's in our natural water now. So we found the best partner we could in healthy hydrogen. Uh, this is a portable bottle that I use all the time, but also there are many options over there. You can get a house, a full house system. You can get a tabletop system. You can get uh, for your shower, for your office and business. They have so many great options. If you go to themelkshow.com, we have partnered with them. So it's on our partners page, healthy hydrogen. I am telling you right now, the difference in this water and what it will do to your health in general is incredible. Uh, if you have inflammation, your immune system has problems, anything that you are thinking you don't know the solution for, this could be the game changer. We've been looking for the missing piece and I believe the missing piece is the water. We are so excited. They have so much science backing all of their products. They have been tested by all different groups out there that do this for a living and look at water really in depth. We have the hydrogen aspect, which is true Really fascinating. Nothing is more important than water. We all know that. So make sure you're putting the best water in your body. And I assure you, this is a true, true game changer that you will see right away and will improve your health and your family's health going forward. Go check out the Mel K Show Partners page, Healthy Hydrogen, and get your health back from the inside out, starting with God's great water. We will see you soon. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the show.